KRCL, 90.9 FM, HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, on the web at krcl.org. Listener-supported community radio. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, and tonight we're going to pass the microphone, as is our tradition, to folks sharing their personal and professional stories. Tonight, the subject is DACA. It was 10 years ago this month that then-President Barack Obama announced the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program by way of executive order. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services began accepting applications on August 15, 2012. And while it eased the worry of thousands of folks, the expectation was that Congress would get its act together and figure out something more permanent. Ten years later, that has yet to happen. So here we are. Panelists tonight will talk and share their personal and professional stories. Stick around for that. This is happening right here in your own community, folks. You'll have some ideas shared with you this hour on how to get involved, how to support, how to be an ally how to take action. And you're going to also find out this issue affects you regardless of your immigration or citizenship status. I'm kind of curious what it is we are losing for folks stuck in this limbo, for folks too scared still, 10 years later, to take advantage of DACA. Let's start, though, with rallies and resources. You go to krcl.org, click on Community Affairs. You'll find a list of events and resources curated by Radioactive. At the top, we've got a whole festival list. In fact, this coming weekend, June 10th to 12th, it is the 30th Annual Art in Pilar's Garden. And it's also the Ogden Arts Festival, June 11th and 12th. Then next weekend, it's Juneteenth, Utah. The weekend after that, there's so much going on. The Park City Latino Arts Festival, the Utah Arts Festival at Library Square, Salt Lake City Busker Fest, Open Streets on Main Street in Salt Lake City, and so much more. If you have a question, a comment, a suggestion for rallies and resources, you can reach out to radioactive at krcl.org. There's also something very specific happening on Saturday. I wanted to alert you to. It's a soil collection ceremony being conducted by a bunch of groups, including Sema Hadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. I'm going to try and get them on the show later this week to talk about it. But they're engaged in this partnership with the Equal Justice Initiative of Alabama, in which here in our community, we will gather soil at the sites of two racial lynchings that occurred in Salt Lake City. Local African-American leaders and Utah elected officials will gather at the site of these horrific murders, one of Mr. Thomas Coleman in 1866 and Mr. William Sam Joe Harvey in 1883. They'll hold a memorial ceremony and collect soil from these sites put it into jars, which will then be sent to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, to be displayed alongside the soil of other lynching victims. It's a free event open to the public, and we hope you will consider joining and participating, as Sama Hadithi says, in the restorative power of truth-telling. And it's a bit of what we'll be doing later tonight, this restorative power of truth-telling on the subject of DACA. But joining me now is Vincent Carson from Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. How are you, Vincent? I am doing wonderful today. Thank you so much, Laura. Hey, I had the opportunity to take part in a Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy project over the weekend, and it's uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Can you share a bit about that? 
Yeah, so Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy is a 501c3 registered nonprofit in Utah. Um, and our mission is to promote respect and understanding between the people of Utah and other nations. I, I manage our youth programs, so that is focusing on folks aged 14 to 32 right here in Utah. Um, and this weekend, we launched our first ever citizen diplomacy boot camp, uh, which was a professional development opportunity for young people looking to expand their careers internationally. That's really cool. Uh, I love the conversations that were happening. I got to share some of my mm -hmm. work on the Utah Compact. Absolutely. A set of universal values from which to have a conversation about immigration. And I was thinking, gosh, I think that was originally 2010. It was reaffirmed in 2019. Mm -hmm. And here we are in 2022 on this 10th anniversary of, of DACA. And the more things change, the more they stay the same, <laughs> I feel like. Unfortunately. Yeah. And so I really love that UCCD is focusing on youth diplomats. Mm -hmm. And, and it really starts one handshake at a time, as you like to say. <laughs> well, UCCD can shine a light on our connection to um, issues uh, overseas, whatever. Mm -hmm. It really starts with understanding them here at home and why they affect us. So coming up, though, the reason I invited you is talk more about your work with youth and developing youth diplomats. You have the International Youth Summit coming up, I believe, in September? Is September it? 24th, okay. yes. Yeah. What's that about and who can participate? Yeah, so the International Youth Summit was a program that we launched last year, um, and it is a conference that brings together young people from across Utah to talk about international relations and impacts that they can make on the world right here in Utah. Um, so we focused on young people. About 70% of our speakers last year were from that age group, which is something I'm incredibly proud of because I'm from that age group as well. Yeah. Um, and we use the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals as a, a blueprint to talk about international relations and local action that can have a, a global impact. So you're looking for current and future activists. You're really trying to not just find those folks who are already engaged, mm -hmm. but to have them bring a friend who might not be. Absolutely, yeah. Just to, uh, talking about how to get engaged uh, uh, in even the smallest ways, um, because if, if we all did a small impact, it would mm -hmm. coalesce and, and you know, expand the, the the impact globally. Well, and it also sounds like about developing a lifelong mm -hmm. worldview mm -hmm. in in this regard. Um, I, and you know, tomorrow we're going to talk about March for Our Lives, mm -hmm. which is planning another mm -hmm. series of nationwide marches. And I'm reaching out trying to find the current crop of March for Our Lives <laughs> students because that group is yeah. really based around being active as you are coming up through high mm -hmm. school and then you move out into the rest of the world. All right, guess what? same as it ever was have to keep focusing on these mm -hmm. these values and the, the goals that we want to see mm -hmm. so uh does it cost anything to participate in the youth summit totally free um that's something that we are really proud to offer to the community um it, we are focusing on accessibility um we want everyone to come as long as you're in, within that age range which is uh, more broadly defined because of your global focus 14 mm -hmm. to 32 so uh it's the theme is rising tide right yes yeah so this is a triple entendre. Uh, it has three meanings um, for uh, the first being youth empowerment, uh, growing youth leaders. Um, the second is uh, comes from the phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats, um, and that is equity, diversity, inclusion, justice. Um, and then the third piece of that theme is climate change and specifically focusing on the Great Salt Lake. Oh, wow. That's great. You're hoping to have 150 to 200 mm -hmm. young people at the summit September 24th at the Viridian Event Center in West Jordan. Where can people find out more? UtahDiplomacy.org. 
That's fantastic. Now, there's a, a, a really cool thing you're doing mm-hmm. as part of this, and this is the 7 for 17. You're looking for nominations. Tell us about this program and what you're looking for. Yeah, so this is an awards program that we launched last year uh, at, the, at the first Youth Summit. Um, and we are really looking for upcoming leaders, upcoming activists um, who fall within that age range, 14 to 32, who are just starting to make an impact um, and starting to uh, positively impact their community related to one of the 17 sustainable development goals. Okay, we don't got time for all 17. Can you give us some <laughs> highlights on what areas of impact? Yeah, um, climate is included, gender, uh, uh, good education, good health, really anything can fit into these goals. Um, and they were agreed upon by all UN member nations. And so they really run the gamut. Okay. So nominations close on June 30th. Yes. You can nominate a friend. You can nominate yourself if you're working mm-hmm. in this space. Where can they do that? Uh, UtahDiplomacy.org. Okay. So I'm guessing this creates a lot of hope for you, mm-hmm. um, especially when I look at the news or doom scroll on my social media. I don't have a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. So folks, when you're thinking about where you can take action, this is a place to find hope and to invest your energy. Absolutely. Okay, so where can people find Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy one more time? <laughs> UtahDiplomacy.org. And we'll put a link in the show notes, folks, to check it out. So thank you so much for coming in, Vincent. I appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. Yeah, thank you for letting me come on. I did want to mention there is a speaker series, and mm-hmm. I believe there's someone on June, is it 22nd or 23rd? I just posted this in Rallies and Resources. It's Monday, June, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, June 22nd. Yes. Not your average, Mohammed. how one man is combining, is combating child soldier recruitment, and he's doing it mm-hmm. through cartoons. Absolutely, yeah. We were originally supposed to have this speaker in 2020, um, and we had to cancel. Um, and so we're really excited to bring Mohammed Ahmed um, to Utah uh, later this month. And again, it's part of the World Affair Speaker Series, Mm -hmm. uh, lecture series that UCCD puts on. It doesn't cost you anything, but you would like the favor of an RSVP, right? (laughs) Yeah, Eventbrite. um, And you can find that link on our website as well. And this is again, Wednesday, June 22nd, Not Your Average Mohammed, How One Man is Combating Child Soldier Recruitment, 7 p.m. at Westminster College. All the details in rallies and resources. Thank you, Vincent. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. All right. You're welcome to take off, but you can also hang out for this conversation if you'd like. Uh, We're going to move on to our conversation about DACA. We have a whole panel coming in, and I wanted to start with some folks who have been uh, either experiencing DACA since it started or working to try and provide resources to folks in the community. And joining us now, we have Alonso Reina Rivarola. Hi, Alonso. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And also joining us, we have Mo Hickey, Executive Director of Voices for Utah Children. How are you? I'm great. How are you? So let's talk a bit about, uh, let's get in the Wayback Machine, shall we? Let's go back 10 years to 2012 and President Barack Obama announces through executive order uh, DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Mo, as Executive Director, were you there at the time at Voices for Utah Children? No, I wasn't. I was actually on the school board in Park City. Oh, wow. So uh, directly hands-on. Park City has a lot of Latino, Latina immigrant uh, families and children. Yeah, at that time, we were about 16% population, <clears throat> Excuse me, and now we're close to 20%. 20%. And what did you think, as a member of the school board, DACA could bring to families who might have citizenship issues? Well, it was necessary. We were, uh, you know, we were looking at our population and we were starting programs like Latinos in Action. Uh, A couple of years later, we started a program called Bright Futures, which was first generation students that are mentored through college. 
But without that piece of paper, without that documentation, it was really selling them short. Because if they couldn't, you know, if you weren't secure, if you weren't sure that you were going to be able to work, that you were going to be able to go to school, qualify for certain benefits, then we were taking all the hope away from the students. I remember a photo exhibit at the main library. I can't remember if it was 2010. Alonzo's shaking his head in the affirmative that you know what I'm talking about. It was people literally coming out of the shadows and putting a face to it. I remember how powerful that was in Utah at the time. Tell us what life was like for you in, in 2012. Definitely. So I was a college student. I was an honor student at the University of Utah studying sociology. I was a senior and I was unsure of what was going to happen after I graduated. I was, you know, doing my best at keeping up with school and work, of course, under the table. But then after that, what was I did not know what was going to be next. Right. So I needed something. I needed some form of relief in order to be able to legally work in the United States and actually put my degree to work. Did you always know as a kid that this was an issue that was affecting you? I was aware. In your future? So I came to the U.S. at the age of 11. I was born in Peru. And as soon as I arrived, visa visa, I knew that it would expire at some point. So as soon as I turned maybe 12 years of age, that's when my visa expired and I knew it was undocumented. Wow. So that's a lot of pressure on a 12-year-old. And but you went to college and uh, you were wondering what your future was going to be. And then President Obama announces DACA. Were you comfortable coming out of the shadows, so to speak, and applying? Yeah, that's a great question. So since about 2008, so when I was a I had just graduated high school, I was a freshman in college and I got really involved in the community. And one of my projects was working to support undocumented immigrants who wanted to go to school. So I remember, actually, the day that DACA was announced, I was um, in Cotton Canyon with like a bunch of students because we had taken a bunch of students to um, go on an overnight retreat so we can like, you know, talk about activism and talk about, you know, things that they were doing for the community. And I remember getting text messages or waking up to a bunch of text messages saying, hey, Obama is going to announce something and we don't know what it is. I remember a bunch of us got together inside a car. We turned on the radio and we were all listening to him give the announcement from the Bush Garden and, you know, uh, from, the, from the Rose Garden. And um, and it was really, you know, big news for us. Right. We had no clue what was going on. We didn't know what the application process would look like. People kept calling it the Dream Act and we knew it wasn't the Dream Act, but we didn't know what it was. Yeah. DACA and the Dream Act, too. Mm-hmm. Different things. So then you're listening and you hear it announced. What was the reaction from yourself or the folks in the car? Yeah, I mean, I was really excited, but as someone who was mentoring students, I was most mostly focused on them. And, you know, I was trying to understand the process. I was trying to gather as much as information as I could. And people in my community knew that I was actively involved in these issues. I had actually gone to Washington, D.C. in 2010 to fight, fight for the DREAM Act before, you know, two years before DACA was announced. So I risked deportation going all the way to D.C., trying to, like, you know, get more information about what it would look like to, you know, to fight for justice for undocumented immigrants in the country. So I was mostly concerned about what that would look like for my students. And were your students excited or were they concerned that this might be some sort of trap, frankly, with government information? Absolutely. So most students were really, like, you know, nervous. Some were excited, but most of them shared concerns, not just about themselves, but their parents. You know, they didn't know what this would mean, um, you know, for their parents, how much information they had to provide. And yeah, if you come in. out and uh, and seek DACA status, does that then draw a line back home? 
right and it could right it very much does but you know fortunately up to this point we have not seen a lot of effects meaning a lot of you know um like operations against families um in terms of you know tracing their lineage back to daca uh, but nonetheless like you know i think it creates a lot of fear in the community especially for those who like never or decided to like not apply due to that concern yeah so mo do you remember um what that meant as a school board member or in your now role with utah voices for utah children what daca has meant to families and students well, it's, you know, part of what Alonzo said, and then you continue on, it's been a roller coaster, right? Because you went through the original fear, and then people got a little bit comfortable that, okay, there hasn't been any enforcement or follow-ups. And then, we, you know, once we changed presidents, yeah. <laughs> then we went back into the, uh, going back into the shadows. And when we first started getting involved uh, in funding DACA applications and renewals, which is one of the programs we run. Voices for Utah Children. Voice for Utah Children. At the time, we were doing it through, in, it started in Park City with the Park City Ed Foundation, then we moved it over to Voices when I joined Voices. But we had parents that would not come with their child to the school to fill out the application. We had to find an off-site location for them to fill out the paperwork because they were afraid. Um, and we've gone through this you know, constantly and now what we're worried about, and Alonzo and I were talking about before we came on, you have this group that is now the youngest DACA recipients, probably 21. We have a whole cohort behind that who do not have access to DACA. There's no new applications it's being accepted. Frozen. It's frozen. So we have this whole cohort. I forget the number. I think it's like a million and a half students nationwide that they don't know what's going to happen, right? And th that really worries me because here we are. You know, I've seen the benefits of the DACA program from people that have received DACA, that uh, we have staff that are DACA recipients, we've had um, fellowship fellows that have worked for us. So, I mean, these are quality individuals who deserve a chance, and so do the younger kids, and we've taken that away from them at the moment. Well, and you look at the record low unemployment across the country, let alone in the state of Utah, where it's even lower, and Utah and the country need people to work. Um, and to deny folks because of their status just seems crazy. Well, I'll, I'll say two things on that, and I don't want to get too carried away. But number one, they just came out with new numbers. So, uh, so this uh, Council for New Americans has the new numbers. And in Utah, DACA recipients contributed $60 million in taxes, 25 to the state, 35 federal. 94.9% of DACA recipients in Utah are in the workforce now because they've, aged, they've graduated from college, et cetera. And it's the highest subgroup of taxpayers in the state. Wow. Right? Think about that for a minute, folks. The highest subgroup of taxpayers yeah, in the be state. Because they are going to make sure they're getting their paperwork in, they're following the rules, et cetera, et cetera. But the other side of that argument is, and, and this is what, where I've gotten tired, is we are not going to deport 13 million people. We're just not. And we can all fantasize about it on the right, but it's not going to happen. So what we should be doing is looking at DACA, which is a program that has actually worked, which has safeguards in place, which has background checks, et cetera, et cetera, and use that as a framework for comprehensive immigration reform it, and expand it. I wouldn't do what they currently every two years you have to reapply, et cetera, because yeah. there's a cost associated with that. But the fact of the matter is if we're – and this is both sides, by the way – if we're serious about immigration reform in this country, 
and we're worried about the future economy, then maybe this is the time that we need to come together and have that conversation. Alonso, what do you think about that? What, yeah. do you, what, do you, what would you like to see happen? Because you not only live this story personally, but professionally uh, from, you were up at the U with the Dream Center there. You've done similar work at Salt Lake Community College, continue to do that, research and write about it. Do you have any solutions you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Mo. I think, you know, comprehensive immigration reform would definitely be the answer to our, the issues that we're encountering. But also along with that, like, you know, if you really like look at, you know, the DACA population as a, as a case study, we go back to American history and wonder, like, why does this population pay taxation without representation, right? Like, it's also a really important question that we need to raise, right? When DACA was created, we have to actually ask ourselves, why was it created and for whom, right? And we know that it only benefits this subgroup of people who are workforce ready without giving them, giving us any access to higher ed, right? Like, if you look at a DACA applicant, like, sure, like, you know, they have access to work legally in the United States and they need to keep working to be able able to renew that permit but nonetheless like we don't have access to FAFSA we don't have access to many public goods right so we have to ask that, like raise that question like you know DACA definitely was intentional and it was designed to you know essentially position this particular group of people as workers and not as professional workers but as blue collar workers and that also is a tension that I wrestle with on a daily basis right because it positions immigrants as a workforce for a very particular you know type of work. And you mentioned FAFSA, we're talking about student loans, and there's this whole conversation about student loans and free college, et cetera, in our country. What do we lose by ignoring this issue as folks who don't have citizenship issues or don't have to deal with DACA and what it means in our, our families? Um, what is it that we stand to lose or gain, um, Alonso, when it comes to this issue? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have a lot of questions in my head that I raise on a daily basis, right? I think that we need to be more, you know, intentional about, one, how we, you know, look at this population. Because oftentimes when we only focus the narrative on DACA, we're also losing sight of who that undocumented community is. And also, we love to paint immigrants as a monolith, and that's just not the reality. And we need to also step away from that. You know, we have painted this idea that all immigrants are Latinx, and that's just not true. We also know that the population is very diverse. It's also indigenous from different parts of the world, but we don't consider consider that. And ultimately, for me, it's, we also need to, you know, raise questions about what created this idea of people who can be citizens and non-citizens, right? We have to go back to, like, this idea of settler colonialism in this land and the fact that we sit on stolen land. You know, I am an immigrant settler myself, right? I have to, like, come to terms with that. But I also want the community at large to wrestle with that and say, oh, like, we are also, the majority of us are also immigrants to this nation. And why is it that some of us are positioned as belonging and other ones is not? We just wrapped up a, a school year, and you work with students at Salt Lake Community College. What are you hearing from them on this subject, or uh, that you've worked with them on this subject about? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of tensions, lots of questions, right? And especially I'm hearing a lot from the students who are no longer eligible to qualify for DACA, like Mo mentioned. You know, this is a population that's currently in schools. These are people who are entering. In fact, right before coming into the studio, I was in my car answering to an email from a parent who reached out about her, her daughter who does not have access to DACA and she's desperate to find support to like go to higher, to go to a college here in Utah. Mo, the Voices for Utah Children, nonprofit that you're the executive director of, created a resource for folks, utahdaca.com. What is available there and what do you think needs to be added given that n folks can't apply to DACA anymore, which I don't think I fully 
understood until this conversation. Well, uh, there's a lot of resources. I think one of the most basic thing is what is DACA and what it's not. I mean, I'll, I'll be fair to most people when I've had a chance to sit down, even people that have questioned it when we've brought it forward. Once we sit down and talk about what DACA is, most people actually say, well, that, that, that actually sounds reasonable. Like in in parts of it, like there are parts that, as Lanza said, that I think are very unreasonable. Like every two years having to pay a renewal fee, those pieces, right? But to counter that, one of the things we've done is we have, and it's been strictly private donations. We have uh, family foundations, individual donors, so we have funding for anybody's renewal fee that needs it. So all they have to do is contact us. They can contact Syriac at utahchildren.org. Um, will arrange for the payment of their renewal fee, uh, and that's ongoing. And so to date, we've done over 500 uh, applications, and it's all been private money. But there's also, like, here's some legal resources, because we, we were talking just before we came on. Now we have some students that have missed dates because they don't have the money. They've missed time on their renewals. It's so demanding. That's where people really don't understand that are not involved in it is – you know, if you're filling out your renewal application, it has to be exact and match your previous renewal. You have one mistake and you could be denied. So you could change your address and not realize that you didn't put in your old address. I mean, it's yeah, it's frightening. So it sounds very inflexible and designed to catch people out. Frankly, yeah, I think a lot of our immigrant immigration policies are <laughs> unfortunately. But um, this group came together, and it's a combination. Uh, we have universities, we have Yushi on board, we have uh, BYU has a Dreamer Club now, which is amazing to see how active they are. They're great. Um, we have community partners who work directly with the community. Um, I'm trying to think. We have family foundations. We have uh, people like Holy Cross Ministries and Immigrant Legal Services and Lutheran Family Service who provide legal uh, advice. So it's it was put together to be a coalition that voices houses but quite honestly uh, it's just a great group of people that yeah. come together every two weeks to c try to come up with some solutions that's your utah daca coalition through voices for utah children yes all right we'll put resources in tonight's show notes but i also do want to mention that there is a daca renewal workshop 9 a.m to 2 p.m at the mexican consulate in salt lake on saturday and they will help folks do that. They have extra support for folks who are Mexican nationals. All the details will be in tonight's show notes, but also on rallies and resources. You can go there. It's at krcl.org, community affairs. You'll find the rallies and resources tab. Any other uh, resources you want to mention before we wrap this? Mo? One last thing. We do have a sign-on letter on utadaca.com, and it's uh, we have businesses assigned on, universities, private individuals. That letter will be delivered to our congressional delegation next Wednesday, which is the 10th anniversary. Um, we want to show them that people actually support a path. And so anybody who can get on there and sign, it's easy. It's an easy form. That's really important because every time we bring something like this forward, I can tell you, and Alonzo's probably heard the same thing, is, oh, who supports it? How many people support it? Like They're counting votes on one side while we're trying to make a change. But if we can get a lot of people signing on, and it has been growing, that's going to make a big impact. So, folks, if you're listening right now, uh, this is something you can do. Where can they find that? That's at uh, utahdaca.com and the sign-on sheet. All right, wonderful. Alonso, any closing thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, actually, with people with DACA, we've noticed a huge uh, 
part of that population is people who are undocumented and educators. So we have people who are teachers in K-12 and higher ed, and actually on November 12th, so we're prepping for that, we have the first annual undocumented educator coming out day. So we'll be hosting something, there's no details yet, but we'll be coming together with a group of national folks um, to essentially create a virtual space where people are going to share their stories about being undocumented um, teachers, professors, and people who work in the field of higher ed and K-12. We'd love to help. Absolutely. We'd love to pass the microphone and maybe do some short interviews and share them in the weeks leading up to that. How about that? That'd be great. Okay, we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and willingness to share your personal and professional stories a lot. So, Mo, I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation about DACA. We've got a little bit of a clash. KRCL 90.9. KRCL and the Utah Film Center present Black, Bold, and Brilliant, a series that highlights issues affecting the black community as seen through the lens of film and media, like the Wild and Scenic Film Festival, a ticketed event at Tracy Aviary June 10th covering outdoor activism. More details at utahfilmcenter.org. KRCL's annual record and CD sale will be making its triumphant return in 2022. We're planning something special, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, we'll be taking donations of your gently used, tremendously loved, but slightly neglected records and CDs. If you can let go, we can make sure those treasures get their way to the next music lover in line. Donations are tax deductible and will help power your community radio station, 90.9 FM, KRCL. If you'd like to donate, reach out to me, Eric P. Nelson, at recordsale at krcl.org for details. See you soon. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7, it is Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and crew. Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelm at 8. Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30. And then John Florence starts your brand new day at 6 a.m. Listen when you want, where you want with KRCL's mobile app, wherever you get your apps. You can listen back to this show and share it, and we hope you do. Questions, comments, or suggestions, send me an email radioactive at krcl.org. We're passing the microphone tonight on the 10th anniversary of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, a program that began in uh, June, June 15th of 2012. And we're continuing to pass the microphone with uh, uh, four more folks from our community. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. First, we have Sitlali Harigi from Holy Cross Ministries. And tell us a little bit about yourself, Sitlali. Hi, uh, well, like you said, my name is Sitlali. I do work at Holy Cross Ministries. Um, I did come to the United States at a young age. Um, so I'll be sharing my personal story here. So you're a DACA recipient. I am a DACA recipient. Okay, we have Brianna Puga, an immigrant rights community organizer with Comunidades Unidas. Thanks for coming in tonight. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi folks, my name is Brianna Puga. She, her, a uh, pronouns. Um, Yes, I'm an immigrant rights community organizer from Comunidades Unidas, translated to Communities United. Um, I am I'm ch a child of a single parent immigrant mother, and I'll just be here talking about um, how that's affected my personal life and also how that's been um, like within my perf um, professional profession, or <laughs> within my profession. <laughs> What you do, I all right. apologize. That's all right. And Fanny De Lucas, you're also from CU. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having us. Um, yeah, my name is Fanny De Lucas. I'm a immigrant rights mobilizer for Comunidades Unidas, and unfortunately, I am not a DACA recipient. I was not able to apply when um, 
that came out. So unfortunately, I've been trying to survive without DACA, but we're here. We're standing strong. Hey, thank you for stepping up to the microphone as we were talking about with Alonso. Uh, you know, it's a it's a huge leap to identify yourself regardless of your status. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so we also have with us an artist I met uh, on North Temple. Love and Tea, I think is where you were painting a mural uh, a while back. Beto Sanchez Conejo, thank you for being here. Hey, appreciate it. So yeah, my name is Beto Conejo and uh, you know, I'm an artist amongst other things. Um, yeah, uh, we we did run across each other on North Temple. Um, I am a immigrant also that is currently on DACA. Um, I was raised in South Salt Lake and um, pretty much uh, I'm here representing myself in the variety of perspectives that I've attained over the years um, and uh, hopefully be able to share some of those perspectives with people to give them some more insight. Beto, thanks for being here. You can look for Beto at the Ogden Arts Festival this month. Hopefully the Urban Arts Festival in September would be your third time there. Um, and he's available for commissions, folks. So, Beto, tell me a bit about uh, having DACA status and what that was like to get it, um, and if that was good for you, for your family, if it made your family nervous, having that information in the government's hands. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, when I first received and uh, was able to get DACA, I was in high school, and, um, you know, for the most part, my mother took care of the process. Um, she, I, I recall we would go over to use some of our resources, uh, which were part of the Catholic church that at, uh, my family used to attend as I was growing up. And um, pretty much um, once we were able to get that and through the process, there was always that kind of fear that everyone kind of had in their back of the minds that was, what if they decide to use this, our information for something else, which... Um, We've seen uh, over the last couple of, I would say, presidencies and um, elections be used as a pretty much tactical piece of, um, I would, I would, in my perspective, right, warfare, uh, yeah. right. It's um, political pawns that um, they perceive us as, as you know, we go along our lives um, getting used as a tool for a vote. Yeah, starting to see with the midterms approaching the caravans of immigrants story coming right out again right right and that's something that um it i i think it tends to be a big um thing that comes around every time that there's a an election season yeah. right um and we do have our own uh issues as individual smaller local communities that i think we could all focus on but um as far as this, like we want people to understand well, as we share our stories that we are part of yeah. these local communities. So when you got DACA status, uh, you were in was it high school again, is that what you said? Correct. Um, your peers who didn't have to worry about that, did that suddenly be this like kind of demarcation for you that your future was different than other folks? To a degree. I mean, I've been knowing that I was uh, different in that status. Um, regards since I was young um, I would see the commercials when I would wake up uh, to watch cartoons right that they would have on channels like the CW 30 and so on and so forth and um, they would always say like you know win this cereal box find the right cereal box and then you might win a trip to Disney right and coming from poverty I always wanted to go to Disney right so uh, one time I asked my mom like we might have to buy this cereal to see if we can you know look out and um, 
she just saw the commercial and I pointed out. I was, you know, young, like six, seven year old, and I was like, "What? Look, 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 look!" And uh, she was like, "Oh, we don't. It's a resident and uh, citizen only thing." So she, she had to explain to me then, like, where we don't have that. Even if we were to find that cereal box, we would not be able and to take advantage of that. And did that? Did you understand that, or was it just like what? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, over time, like, um, I guess part of like. I would say like the culture growing up, um, it's very like, it's very joked on about, um, you know, even amongst other people and uh, amongst your own like fellow countrymen, you you do have people that jab jokes and whatnot and it helps build a thick skin, right? It's more so against people, I won't say the word against, but it's more so in relation to people that don't necessarily have the perspective of yeah. the struggle that comes with it, mm-hmm. that it becomes a little iffier to joke yeah. around about it and, you know, poke that same fun at it and whatnot. Yeah. Sitlali, tell us a little bit more about your story personally and professionally on DACA. Yeah, so, I mean, I was born in a small town in the state of Jalisco, Mexico. Um, and when I was seven years old, my parents made the really hard decision to migrate or immigrate to the United States. Um, my sister and I didn't know. I mean, we thought we were just coming for vacation. They told us we were going to go to Disneyland. And I mean, <laughs> we did. Uh, we did end up going. Um, but then once we ar- arrived in Utah, that's when they told us we were going to start um, school here. And I mean, we were seven. I was seven. My sister was around eight years old. And we were scared because we felt like we didn't, I guess, um, fit in with everyone else. I mean, our skin color was a little bit different. Our hair color, um, language was a big barrier. But I mean, we started attending school. I started second grade, she started third grade. Um, and then after that, um, years passed by. And that's when our, we were, I think we were in middle school. That's when our parents told us, you know, um, you guys are undocumented. You guys are gonna be facing a lot of obstacles. Um, as as your education progresses because they they knew that my sister and I really wanted to to attain a higher education after high school um so in a way they were just preparing us for those challenges that we were going to come face to face with um and then it was 2012 um that's when my parents finally let a sight of relief because they knew that my sister and I would be eligible for DACA um and they knew that we would, you know, we would be put in a vulnerable situation. But on the long, on the other end of it, we were going to have more opportunities. Um, so we applied. We got approved. And as soon as we received that letter, you know, letting us know that we are eligible for a work permit and we're protected from deportation for two years, it was just, it was an amazing feeling for sure. What was it like trying to stay up on it? Mo was talking about that in our last segment, that it's so easy to make a mistake in the paperwork and then lose your eligibility, oh, your yeah. status. Yeah, we did receive um, assistance from a legal uh, representative from Holly Cross Ministries. Um, she was able to help us with our paperwork, so she made sure that everything was um, correct when filing. So in one hand, it's a relief, but I can also imagine what a stress it is to mm-hmm. stay on top of this every two years oh yeah. i mean we all pay taxes once a year but this is like another hurdle on just being able to pay your taxes essentially 
Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I mean, just recently, last year, um, we're supposed to file for a renewal every certain like amount of time. Um, but I was late on applying, so I didn't receive my work permit in time. So I lost my job. Um, I wasn't able to work for four months just because of that uh, work permit. But you eventually got it back? Yeah, after four months I did uh, receive my work permit and I was able to um, apply for jobs and I applied for Holy Cross Ministries and that's where I'm working right now. And that's where you originally received some assistance in getting your DACA status, so now you're paying it forward it sounds like. I am. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Sidlali. Brianna Puga from Comunidades Unidas. You're an immigrant rights community organizer. Tell us about your story and then also your work. Yeah. um, um, I was privileged enough to be born in this country, so I don't have to go through the barriers and the injustice and the hurdles that um, undocumented um, folks have to face. But within my work, within my job, my main job is hearing the wa- the wants, the needs, the barriers, the injustice of the undocumented community and making as much, you know, I like to say as much escandalo in a Spanish. Scandal? That's, that's like enough uh, enough noise, you know, ah. to, to like um, folks up in the state capitol so that they could hear that, hey, these are the struggles. This is the yeah. barriers that we're facing, the undocumented community is facing. So... Let's do something about it. <laughs> You're hearing people's stories, being able to pass in the microphone to tell their story themselves and being them being willing to do it was a huge breakthrough uh, back in 2012 as more young folks said, I can't say that word on radio, but in essence, I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> I'm going to come out of the shadows. People are going to know my name. They're going to know my story. And it sounds like you think that still is very necessary. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even then... Folks are appreciated, appreciative of DACA. Don't get me wrong. It's folks much rather have DACA than nothing at all. But at the end of the day, DACA is like a cuerito, as what I like to translate into a temporary Band-Aid for, for these, these folks who are documented. You know, imagine like it's like ha- like hanging a string in front of a cat, like tr- and the cat's trying to like toying with the cat. Yeah, right? toying with it. So mm-hmm. exactly, that's exactly what documented folks face on a day to day basis, and not even documented, undocumented folks as well. Um, their life is uncertainty is full of uncertainty. So um, we would. I mean, I I don't know if I speak for all undocumented folks or documented folks, but we're looking for something permanent, not just. Yeah. Not just DACA, not just this temporary Band-Aid. Well, how do you feel about that working here in a conservative state? <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. Uh, no, nah, you're good. <laughs> this, Folks, this is speaking out of me, Brianna Puga, no one else, all right? <laughs> not Comunidades Unidas, this is from Brianna Puga. But uh, it's, you know what, you, when, when we talk about DACA, when I go into these meetings regarding DACA and undocumented folk, you constantly hear the conversation and the narrative of good immigrant versus bad immigrant. And I think that's a little, that's a little, I forget, I, can't, I forget, I can't swear on this, but a little BS, just, just, just out of me, out of me. Thank you, um, Brianna. I appreciate you bringing that in. But I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and Fanny, you and Brianna work together, right? You are also an immigrant rights mobilizer. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, I am. <laughs> share a little bit of your story, too. Yeah, so, I mean, my story is very, very similar to Sitlali. So um, I came here when I was five, and the same thing my parents said, we're just going to Disney, and we ended up in Disney and then Utah, and then we stayed. 
Um, and I grew up here and yeah, it was really hard having to transition and then life happened and we moved back to Mexico and I was there for my teenage years. Um, and then when I was there, that's when DACA came out to be, you know, able for people to apply to that. We moved back, just family situations and whatnot. And I tried to apply. I had all the paperwork, everything. And just for that time frame that I was out, they denied me. Wow. They said I was not able to apply for it, that I was basically starting all over. I try to say, well, it was my parents. My parents, you know, took me out. This is my home. They did not accept that. So I've been having to, you know, do life without DACA, which is really difficult. It's not impossible, right? But it is really difficult. It's really difficult emotionally. It's really difficult financially. It's really difficult. I mean, I couldn't even finish school for that matter. So it is really hard to, as Brianna is saying, you know, live your life as a kitty, right? Just people just throwing out shots and then taking them away. Wow. We're going to continue this conversation. Got a couple messages to share with folks who are talking about DACA, which turns 10 this month. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow, spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Gender Bands is a Utah-based nonprofit helping transgender people pay for transition-related costs. Applications for transition grants open November 1st. For details, visit genderbands.org. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Yep, passing the microphone since 1979, and tonight we're passing it to folks here in our community talking about DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, turns 10 on June 15th. The first applications were accepted on August 15th, and uh, there's a lot of resources available to folks in our community, and not to mention, least of which is from Comunidades Unidas. So what is it that you, you folks do as immigrant rights community organizers or, or mobilizers, Fanny and Brianna? Tell us uh, what you do so people know what's available, but also what you'd like to see the community do on this issue. Fanny. Um, so I'll just talk about what we would like to see the community do, and if you want, you can talk about the resources. That's cool, Brianna? No? Okay. Sure. So um, from a whole perspective, I guess we just want to see more of a pushback from the community. Like, I think we're at the moment where we know a lot of people have a lot to say and we're just trying to open up the spaces where they feel comfortable enough to say it, to know that they do have a voice, right? That they do have a voice that needs to be heard, that their stories need to be heard, their narratives need to be heard, and that there is a movement for change. Like this world needs a change. The city needs a change, but we can't change it on ourselves, right? We need yeah. help to be able to change that. Um, and I really do think that's the heart of where we're coming from where we're in this moment where we just we need the help of the community like we're standing for the community but we also need the community to stand there with us um i don't know if you want to add anything brianna yes um the undocumented community is a very fear-based community unfortunately and i believe like here at cu like our our goal is to have every person discover their potential to create change, you know, and also empower them to be, to empower them and educate them of like the resources and services that there are available for the undocu community because oftentimes undocu community members overlook resources and mm. services, but because, you know, fear of report, fear of deportation, fear yeah. of reporting. So a few of the resources that I could think of of on the top of my head from Comunidades Unidas is that we have an immigrant um, immigration clinic where we provide low cost um, immigration process and documents and you know assistance to undocu undocu um, folks. So and we're constantly like in the hunt of like finding you know new resources and services for the undocu community. Um, and 
yeah, that's a little bit of what I could think of right now. Uh, plus, also, you advocate for folks, you know, a vote for two program, um, which is, you know, this apathy that I find, especially during the midterms. And I'm not going to show up. I don't like any of the choices. Well, you're not showing up. There's folks who would love to show up right. who, who can't, Fanny. Um, so when you vote, you're, you're voting not just for yourself and your own choices, but uh, for folks who benefit who can't show up and vote, Fanny. And um, I like the way you added that because another thing that we're also focusing on in CU, Comunidades Unidas, is to let people know that maybe they don't have the privilege to vote, but they do know somebody that does. Yeah. So it's also spreading the word like, hey, we all need to be part of this movement. Like, even if I cannot, I probably know somebody that can. And just one little vote can change a lot of stuff, right? How, yeah. How can folks get involved, Brianna, with w the programs that you offer, but in supporting that work because I think that's a huge part of it. Well, I was talking earlier with Alonso and Mo. It's like, what do folks who don't have these citizenship issues? What do they gain from being involved in this? Stronger community connection. Yeah, honestly, it's super. I mean, I would like to say it's super simple to get involved. Where, um, you know, you could just DM us on social media, call us. You know, we're always on the lookout to to organize with folks and find folks with similar, you know, struggles, similar interests, similar experiences at us so that we could then, you know, create political power and, and, mm -hmm. and create like, and get, get, get success whenever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately lawmakers need to be convinced again. They need to be reacquainted. Right, Fanny? Yeah. And I guess something else I just wanted to add about what they could gain as well is also they gain the knowledge, the knowledge that, you know, you know, you need to live this life with knowledge and knowledge has power. So they gain the knowledge as well as like Brianna was saying, there's also those resources that unfortunately we are not mentioned about, right? As an undocumented community, they're not mentioned. They're not highlighted in the commercials. They're not highlighted on the news, but there are resources that can help our communities. So they gain that knowledge and they also gain the possibilities that they probably thought they didn't even have, yeah. but they do exist. They need to know, got to raise raise the uh, the call to help folks and show up. And so let's go to Sitlali and ask a little bit more about resources that you know of um, or why folks should care about this if it's not their issue, Sitlali. Yeah, so I, I do think that people should care about the resources that should be available for undocumented individuals. I know when I was um, attending school at the U, um, I didn't really know a lot about the resources that are available to DACA recipients. So paying for school for me was super difficult, but I pretty much just worked full time, went to school full time. Um, and I was. This goes back to that whole good yeah. immigrant or a bad immigrant, right? We mm -hmm. look at folks who are DACA mented. These are folks who show extra commitment, oh, yes. extra sacrifice. And <laughs> Brianna is like banging the table here. You can't see it, folks, but it's awesome. So, Lolly, I don't mean to take your time. Continue. Uh, no, you're fine. Um, yeah, because we, I mean, we're very committed into what we want to accomplish in, in life, what we want to be. Um, so, I mean, all of, there's a lot of organizations who spread a lot of um, information about available resources for undocumented people. And I feel like even if you're not undocumented, you should at least try to sp help spread the word for others because there's sometimes like it might just be your neighbor. It might just be yeah. a family friend and you don't know. You might just yeah. be helping them by just simply clicking a share button. Beto, art has a lot of power to convey message on this topic. What do you want to say about DACA and uh, what folks need in this community or are lacking in this community that we should be addressing? Go ahead. 
I mean, there's a lot to say. Um, I'll start off uh, bouncing off an idea that Brianna mentioned. Uh, Brianna mentioned that the undocumented community is a fear-based community, and I would like to say that that's been a reality in specific moments in the last couple of de uh, years, decades even, but um, it's more so turning in, uh, into a a community of courage, because yep. without fear, there is no courage. And um, pretty much, we're still here, and we're going to continue to be here. And um, everything that we strive for, um, we do it for the future, for like our children, and for pretty much the generations that are going to come after us, right? Our, sa our parents sacrificed for us, right? So, um, and then I'll, I'll speak a little bit more about my personal story uh, so that people can get a little bit more perspective. Um, so I was brought over uh, when I was a year and a half old from the city of Irapuato, Guanajuato, Mexico. Uh, as of 2020, uh, it was listed as a top three uh, most dangerous cities in the world uh, of, and that's measured by deaths per capita. Um, and um, I still have family there. Um, this is something that I haven't really spoken about, um, like even with my own group of friends, but I think it's an important piece that uh, needs to get shared. Um, I had family that has been kidnapped. I have had family that has been used as tools of extortion. And um, for us to get the opportunity to be here and for me to obtain somewhat of an education and be able to pursue my dream, which is to make art and to express myself in a variety of different methods. That's what it was all about. That's what the sacrifice was for. And, um, you know, for the first part of my life, I, I was going down the wrong path um, what you would consider the wrong path, as they said, the bad immigrants, correct? Um, you know, and that's due to a variety of other uh, social economic reasons that I'm able to see now, thanks to the education I've attained. Um, and pretty much, um, you know, was involved in a lot of street things, right? Um, allegedly gangs and other things of the sort. And um, eventually it got to the point where... Um, you know, um, you have survivor's guilt. You see people that are your age, that are your race, your ethnicity, your culture, but also just people from your neighborhood. You know, my, my background through the streets became something that of your neighborhood pride, right? Um, and where I came from in South Salt Lake on West Temple, um, I got to see a lot of death, unfortunately, a lot of overdoses, um, and it uh, it was all felt at different weights at different times. And um, at the end of the day, the thing that sticks the most is that that's my community. And um, once I got to a point where I was in a single parent household uh, with myself working through high school. I was using DACA to put myself through high school with my mom. And, uh, you know, these tendencies that were still there um, upon, you know, what you call a JIT stage, right? You know, juvenile and training. Um, I started getting advanced. It wasn't no training no more, so it was, um, it was 
tough for me to make that transition from a, you know, um, what you would call, uh, what you would consider a sinner, right? Um, a rotten egg, as they call them, you know, one bad apple in the bunch, to um, pretty much have people believe in me again. And um, in that time frame, I did get arrested, um, and I did lose um, my DACA for a bit. I was reaching back out to the same resources that helped me initially get it, and uh, I was getting tossed around. Pretty much everyone gave up on me. They said, this is a lost case. Like, you, we're not going to waste our time on this. Um, so uh, eventually, um, I didn't have it. So I was in the same position as Hidlali. And um, I had a, f a friend that's an ally um, and I c what I couldn't consider a brother. Uh, he helped me make a business, landscaping, one of the things that we know how to do, right? And um, he started teaching me the ropes of business. And um, I attempted to make one to help continue to provide with my mom and um, put myself through high school. And um, later that year, I became uh, the first male graduate in my family's history um, and uh, was able to, with the help of Alonso, get to Slick, even though he was um, working for the University of Utah at the time. Mm -hmm. We were able to uh, make the effort and um, help him help me get to slick yeah community resources were crucial to you putting your life together the way you wanted to choose to live it more so the people of the community um the to a degree they are the resource but i don't want to dehumanize them to mm -hmm. that word but yeah the resources and the the people were definitely um the thing that um helped me become who i am now the most well Pedro, thanks for going deep there yeah. the last minute i appreciate you sharing that story and folks that's what we do uh on this show we pass the microphone so folks can tell you what they're going through and you've heard a lot about daca tonight and there are resources available there are resources to support and uh, help move forward so please check it out in the show notes at krcl.org under the community affairs tab but uh beto sitlali brianna and fanny thank you so much love to have you back because this hasn't been solved yet has it Oh, all right. You're listening to KRCL 90.9, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo Park City, online at krcl.org. We join Democracy Now! in progress. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Good night.